Welcome back to another episode of Law School Crucible. I'm one of your hosts, James Harris. And I'm Dan Walsh. This is a product of the First Generation Legal Professionals and Allies Student Organization at Eagle School of Law. The purpose of this organization is for helping first-generation students. We know that law school is especially tough when you don't have family members who have been there before. Law School Crucible is centered on talking to legal professionals and learning from their experiences. On today's episode, we're joined by Dean Wendy Scott, who is the head of the Office of Academic Success. She is an alumni of both Harvard University and New York University School of Law and is a nationally recognized constitutional law scholar. You know, one of my favorite parts of these episodes is listening to a learned faculty member discussing when they were lowly students. But in addition to that, she has great advice for success in school and in the bar, and it offered, at least to me, a lot of insight into just how much OAS offers Elon Law students. Thanks for tuning in again, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, and just to get started, we want our listeners to learn a little bit about your background. Well, there's a long version and a short version. The short version is I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I moved there when I was 10, went to elementary, high school, left for college. My family is still there. I have relatives in the Delaware, Maryland area, so that's sort of our home. The long story is my dad was in the Army. So we moved several places until I was 10. I was born at, on a military base, Fort Meade, Maryland. I, uh, our family left Baltimore right before I turned five, and so I went to kindergarten and first grade in Taipei, Taiwan. I uh, went to the Dominican Catholic school there, moved back to the States, and started second grade in New Jersey at Fort Dix, went to second, third, and second, third, and fourth grade on the military base, and then moved to Philadelphia. So my dad retired when I was 10, and uh, I'm really grateful for having had that experience, even though I was glad that we stopped moving. But very few people get a chance to live outside of the country at such an early age, and it really left an impression on me in terms of the world being bigger than we realize when we're young. I had an opportunity to see it. Um, so what drew you to law originally? Well, my mother always had this desire to go to law school. I still remember that as a kid. She's 94 years old now, so she was in a generation of women that did not have those opportunities presented to them, especially after she started having a family. So I think it must have gotten into my subconscious because I never really thought about going to law school until I was a junior in college. I had already given up my dream, which was to go to medical school, but I realized early that that was truly not my calling. But what motivated me to want to go to medical school was to work in underserved communities. And so that was my driving motivation. And I began to think about other ways besides being a doctor that I could do that. I thought about business school. I actually worked at the uh, business school, at Harvard Business School one summer, and this was back when they had typewriters, so I had to type the entire course catalog for that semester. 
And by the time I finished typing it, I knew I didn't want to go to business school. Nothing caught my attention. Nothing looked exciting. Talked to people who were in law school, and they weren't very helpful either because they were first-year students. And when you ask them what is law school like, their eyes sort of glazed over. And, you know, you really couldn't get a good response. Uh, but I persevered anyway. I was a philosophy major, and it, it seemed to be a good flow um, if I wasn't going to go to graduate school. So I took the LSAT. I did not know at the time that there were courses you could take to prepare for the LSAT. And even if I'd known, I probably wouldn't have had the money. But I prepared myself. I went to I worked that summer, and every day after work, I went to the library Monday through Thursday with my little... LSAT prep book and did questions and um, and spent that summer getting ready for the LSAT. I took it twice. Um, and then I was on the path to going to law school. I wanted to live in New York City. And it's amazing what motivation to do things. It wasn't like, oh, NYU is a great school. It's like, no, NYU is in New York. So I want to go to New York. And I got an NYU. And so I went to New York. Uh, and it was a great choice after I mean once I got there and realized where I was it's like okay this this was a good idea um, but I enjoyed the people that I was in law school with and and although law school is challenging it's it's it at times has its difficulties the people that you're surrounded by make a big difference and I, I still have some lifelong friends from law school and speaking of that so you know you um, make it to law school and um we talked before. You said you were the first person in your family to go to law school? Yes. Um, I did have, um, I was fortunate that both my father graduated from college, and uh, my father's side of the family was, was pretty well educated. I had an uncle who was a doctor, and, and his brothers were school principals, and uh, he graduated from college. On my mother's side, it was different. Most of the people on her side of the family uh, were working class people, so they graduated from high school and, and worked and raised their family. So it was an interesting mix because it really was a diff- two different cultures on each side of my family. But I was the first person to go to law school, and uh, I actually have a niece who also graduated from law school um, back in 2000, I think. So I was raised with the understanding that I was going to go to college. That was never a question. That's just how my family was. But going to graduate school was the next step. And other than my uncle, um, we really didn't have folks in my family who had gone to professional school. Okay. So you get to NYU and, um, you know, which is an amazing law school. And uh, what's your, what was the biggest surprise? Well, you know, it was, it was funny because the one of the first things that stood out to me was that you had to sit in the same seat every class. <laughs> they had the seating chart and your name was on it and so I felt like I was sort of back in kindergarten. <laughs> the last time I'd had an assigned seat was, you know, maybe in high school or elementary school. And then it was the amount of work. Because college was challenging. Uh, I wrote a thesis, so I did have that experience of, of writing and research. But the the amount of reading that we had to do in law school, before 
now the ABA requires faculty to have certain information on the syllabus. Like now you, we're going to add to the syllabus how many hours you should study outside of class and what the objectives of the course are. Those are ABA requirements. When I was in law school, those requirements didn't exist. So all the syllabus said was contracts, Monday, page 1 through 12, Tuesday, page 13. So there was no guidance at all from the syllabus as to where you were going and what the expectations were and what the outcome was supposed to be. So that was what they call the sink or swim era of law school. And and to some extent, it still exists, but the guidance that students get now is so much more than we had. And if you'd never been to law school, if you didn't know any lawyers, I remember the end of my first year of law school, I was fortunate to get a job working in the district attorney's office in Philadelphia. And I said to myself, if I don't know what being a lawyer means by the end of the summer, I'm not going back to law school. Because I had all this knowledge of law, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. So that job really was a turning point. It, it motivated me to want to go back to law school because now I knew what lawyers actually did and how they used all that knowledge that I had gotten in that first year. Um, is that change between the sink or swim method and the way it's done now, is that an Elon-specific thing or has that been something that's occurred throughout America's law schools? It's... It's national in the sense that the ABA mandates certain requirements that every law school has to follow, but it's up to each law school how they're going to nuance that, okay? So think of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. That's my favorite class. Uh, You've got this set of rules, and they're national rules, and they apply in every federal court. However... Each federal court has their own set of rules, and as long as those rules don't conflict with the national rules, then they can nuance them in the way that they want. And so Elon has its own nuance on some of the national requirements, uh, including the academic support, because academic support was relatively recently included in the ABA standards. Now, there were schools that had academic support offices, but they weren't mandated. For a long time, the ABA would not permit any law school to teach a course like bar exam foundations for credit because their concept was you don't teach people about the bar exam in law school. Well, that's a sea change. Now, virtually every law school in the country has a course similar to bar exam foundations, but they're different depending on the audience, uh, depending on the the goal of that particular department. So now the ABA says you should have some type of academic support program, but it's up to each school to determine what that looks like. I was going to say, uh, to follow up on that, what does Elon do that makes us stand out from the basic requirements? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we have a staff. There are some law schools where there's only one person who is responsible for academic support. And Elon is committed to not only having a staff, but growing that staff. And that's one of the things that the dean and I are talking about right now, adding even more people. St. Mary's, for instance, has 
a, a large staff, and we want to be as good as the schools that have the largest staff. But right now we have four, plus our teaching fellows. And uh, if we added an additional person, that would allow us to probably teach smaller sections of the workshops for 1Ls, the Bar Exam Foundation course, because I think small sections make a difference. They really help, especially when you're teaching skills. And so uh, having a staff is uh, one of the things I think that uh, puts Elon in that category of schools at the top with academic support. Um, Also, the Introduction to Legal Studies course, which um, has been a feature of Elon for several years, starting students early, starting in August with actual simulated classes and uh, graded assignments, we are in the process of expanding that so that the workshops that we're doing now will be part of Introduction Legal Services and students will get credit for attending those workshops because we want the students to have an entire year experience, not just for skills. It's going to also allow us to do some other things. We've talked about bringing in uh, discussions about professionalism. That's a skill. And sort of broadening our definition of what it means to be a successful law student and lawyer. So if we're able to uh, expand the course so that all of the components that we're currently doing with the cooperation of the faculty become a part of the course, then I think it will allow us to have a more systemic approach. Uh, And I'm excited. The faculty, I've talked to several faculty members. They're on board with it. So uh, it's just a matter of getting it through the curriculum committee. So, uh, you know, being a teacher fellow myself, what um, I've come to realize is uh, negative stigma associated with uh, the Office of Academic Success um, at many law schools. You know, uh, law students tend to avoid it until either it's too late or they, they never go. What are some of the reasons or some of the factors you think um, that contribute to that? Well, I, I would say maybe on college campuses generally, it might start before people get to law school because many colleges have tutoring programs. They have academic support offices. Uh, and so because academic success programs are relatively new in law school. I would say it may even go back to college. But also, the the origins of academic support in law school were very limited and focused on students that needed additional help. Now we've expanded so that it's not, it's for everybody, as far as we're concerned. I mean, most people come to law school, they haven't written a case brief before. So uh, most, a lot of people have never done outlines the way we're encouraging people to do them. So all the skills that we teach, I wish I had had that when I was in law school. It would have been nice to sort of had some advanced preparation and then continuing that. One of my one of the things that I think about when it comes to stigma, I uh, I was an associate dean for academic affairs at North Carolina Central for several years and we had an opening for director of academic support and Uh, The young woman we hired impressed me. I looked at her grades, and she had graduated at the top of her class. She had great grades. So I was like, well, why do you want to do academic success or academic support? She said, well, when I was a law student, I went down there all the time just to make sure that I was on track. 
And so this was a student who someone might say, well, she didn't need that. But what she realized was that it was added value. If, if you feel comfortable and you feel like you're going in the direct, right direction, what's wrong with getting confirmation of that? And so we hired her. I was very impressed with that because uh, she saw the value as going beyond remediation. It, there was a value for every student, no matter what level. And if you look at our website, it even says that one of our purposes is to help good students be even better. It's not just for students that might have some challenges or difficulties, but it's for every student who wants to be successful. Um, so take me through how you would start implementing something with a new student. Mm-hmm. When someone comes in, uh, both the students who already say I'm comfortable and the students who say I'm kind of worried, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what do you do to, to, to start mm-hmm. helping mm-hmm. them? What's the process? Well, we function to some extent as a sounding board for students. And I think students all need whether it's our office, whether it's student services, whether it's a professor. But this is some place where it's okay to be genuine. Um, and and uh, just on a personal note, I haven't come into Office of Academic Support before. I'm mm-hmm. a bit of a loner, and I'm kind of the type of person who thinks, all right, uh, if I'm not getting it, I need another book. Mm-hmm. I need to do this. I need mm-hmm. to do that. But it's mm-hmm. all very about self-driven. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think there's people like that, like myself, but then a few weeks ago, uh, some friends of mine whose opinions I respect and abilities I respect were arguing over some bar exam questions mm-hmm. in the library. And I, they asked me my opinion. I was like, I don't know what question you're talking about. And it was because they were both with the Office of Academic Success, working with them, getting help on it. Mm-hmm. And they had just assumed I was as well. Mm-hmm. They felt very left out of the equation because <laughs> of it. Um, and I'm wondering, for people like myself who don't have that type of experience, um, what you do exactly in terms of is it is it writing is it multiple choice is it a combination of all these different things mm-hmm. like how like mm-hmm. the actual nitty gritty of it so anything from actually sitting down making an appointment going through to just knocking on somebody's door and say um, can I borrow a book on this yeah we have a lending library so if you're looking for another book don't go buy it just come down here and see if we have it right. Um, so whatever your personality, your learning style, we can support you in that, right? If Even if it's something as simple as looking at our lending library and finding something that's going to fit your style of learning. And in the process, you build relationships with folks down here. And, um, and, and in our profession, relationships are important and building those relationships are important. So, so... Come down and borrow a book. That's pretty simple. And one thing you asked about what sets Elon apart. Dean Bierman asked me to be the Associate Dean for Academic Success after 30 years of being a doctrinal professor. So I've seen it all. You don't have a lot of academic support offices across the country that are managed by doctrinal faculty. So most of my career has been spent teaching civil procedure, constitutional law, evidence, a whole bunch of classes. And 
his mission was to bring that level of credibility to the office. So it's not, we have academic success specialist in the office. My specialty is knowing what I know students need because I've seen it all. Uh, I've seen uh, rule dumping. I've seen conclusory answers. I've seen wonderful answers. I've seen it all. So knowing what to look for and knowing what students need, my perspective is based on having been a classroom teacher for 30 years. And that is one of the things that sets our academic support office apart. Because most academic support offices are run by academic support professionals. And our staff is a professional academic support staff. But my vision and my perspective is different. Because when a student comes in and they begin, I know exactly from having taught over 2,000 students what students need to succeed. And that sets Elon apart in terms of how this office is set up. Um, and, and it allows us the freedom, I think, to be creative and inventive and redo things because of the expertise that I bring to the office and the professionalism of our staff. So that early introduction, it, it can have a potentially harmful effect in the sense that it might give people confidence but they've only had two weeks of law school. So it's like, okay, you did well in this, but you know, you've got 13 more weeks to go. But I think the introduction of legal studies course, especially as we expand it, will, will put us as part of the curriculum that you are earning credit for this work. I think that attracts students' attention. Make the fact that it's part of their academic record to have a grade for introduction to legal studies. Okay. Um, also, we tend to meet one-on-one with students during ILS early on, just just to build relationships, because sometimes that's what may make a difference. A student may feel I'm doing great, but I like Professor Splawn, so let me go talk to him. Let me spend some time with him, or. I'm not doing so great, but I remember that Professor Sear was really helpful to me, so let me go talk to her. So building those relationships early is part of our mission in ILS. But also introducing students to the skills that they need and showing them how we can make you better so that you can be a better student. Uh, we, you know, we have our work cut out for us. It's easy to say all those things, but that's not going to dispel whatever myths people have about the work that we do. But I do hope that by making introduction to legal studies a more robust course and one that lasts for the entire year will be a way of building those relationships with students wherever they are on the academic spectrum. Okay. Um so let's talk about some um, advice that you would give to, well, students in general, but um, geared towards, you know, being successful law students. Now, there are certain things that every law student should do. Every law student should manage their time well. I would put that at the top of the list. Uh, 
in college, you've got a lot of flexibility, especially when you get to that senior year, right? So my senior year, I felt like I had, you know, I was working on my thesis. I might have had a class here, a class there. Most of them in the evening. Most of them were seminars. I was working, you know, 20-some hours a week. Um, and I took a year off between college and law school because I wanted to be sure that I was that I really wanted to go to law school, that there wasn't something out there that I was missing. I was very happy to become a student again because that's all I had known my whole life. So, But when I got back to law school, it was like, okay, I don't really have the—there's the, still 24 hours in a day, but I've got to manage that time differently if I'm going to get all this work done. So that was the first thing I realized, that I had to have—I had to be organized— I had to be organized and I had to have schedule. And that schedule could change, but it had to be recorded. So if it changed, I had to, it couldn't be like, oh, I think I'll do, no. Let me pull my schedule out. Let me switch this around. So time management and being organized are crucial to every law student's success. Whether you got an 800 on the, or a 180 on the LSAT or a 140 on the LSAT. Every law student has to be organized and manage their time well. And then I said this at orientation, and it probably didn't resonate with a lot of people, but being humble. And, and that came from my own experience, because I went to law school saying, I don't need academic support. I don't need study aids. And then I realized that there was some value to that. Uh, you know, I got a, I, I did well in my first semester, but I could have done better. And I realized that one of the things that was going to help me do better was to figure out a way to incorporate those things into my study, not to use them as a substitute. So managing your time, being organized, being humble, and allowing yourself some free time because you don't want to lose it, just focusing on. 24-7 on school. So whether it's Friday night, whether it's Saturday morning, whether it's Sunday morning, whatever, there's got to be some time in your schedule to relax, whatever that means to you. But I realized when I got out of law school why law school was the way it is, because that's how the profession is. If you're a lawyer, you have to be organized, you have to manage your time, you have to be humble in front of a judge, and you have to know how to relax. So it wasn't until I got out of law school that I understood why law school was the way it is. It's professional school, and it's preparing you for a demanding profession, one that you're obligated to perform well in because you're, you've got a fiduciary responsibility to your clients. So... Uh, so that time management skill is key. One of the, the major uh, focal points of this podcast is providing uh, tips about being successful mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so uh, how do you define success? I would say success is achieving a goal that you set for yourself, whether it's a personal goal, a professional goal, an academic goal. Um, getting there may look ugly, but 
if that's where you want to go, then and you get there, that's success. So being able to 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 say, okay, I want to I want to pass the bar, but I didn't really understand contracts that well. What should I do? Well, you should come here. That's that's what we're here for, right? Because you you want to pass the bar. So whatever it takes within the bounds of the law for you to be successful at anything, there's nothing wrong with getting help along the way. I would not be where I am today if I had not had people supporting me and helping me and encouraging me along the way. And um, one final question. Um, we had a, a lot of good um, discussion about a, a wide array of things, but um, what are a few takeaways you would want our listeners to um, gain from our conversation? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if you're, if you're listening and you're thinking about going to law school, I would um, put a plug in for Elon Law School. I think uh, we're a, a small school, and I think that is an advantage uh, for any student. Uh, my class had 360 people in the class. Our section had 120 people. So you were clearly just a number. That's not the case here at Elon. Uh, I think by the time people graduate, somebody knows a a good group of students well. So that's a good thing. Uh, The other takeaway is that law school may not be for everybody. So make sure that you're that you're making the right choice uh, because they're. It would sort of be like, I think, me going to medical school. I mean, I could probably have gotten admitted, but what would have happened afterwards? I don't know. Maybe it would have worked out. But uh, the people who I know who went to medical school, you know, that was not for me. Uh, so don't don't force yourself into something just because other people think you should do it or, um, or it seems like the right thing to do. Um, it's, it's too expensive and, it, and it's too challenging to make the wrong choice. But if you do want to go to law school, then you should visit schools. You should, you know, look at their websites. And I think you'll see that Elon offers a unique opportunity for you to learn the law, to to go out. You don't have to worry about uh, not coming back to law school because you don't know what lawyers do because you'll find out your second year. Uh, so our residency program and um, the size of the schools a plus. And the last thing I would say is that choose law school for the right reasons. Lawyers, you can go to law school, and, and it certainly is a profession where you can make a very, very good living. And that's, that's a good reason to go to law school. But ultimately, we're a service profession. We serve people, whether we're serving General Motors or whether we're serving a homeless family. Our mission is to help people, to help them make more money, help them find a house, whatever it is. We are professionals and we serve. And so that, to me, is the should be a motivator for going to law school. You know, I went to law school. I practiced public interest law. I never worked in a corporation. I worked in a small private firm for a short time. Um, but I've never missed a meal. <laughs> you know, I'm probably better off financially than everybody in my family. What made me happy was the kind of work that I did. And so it's very important to make sure that you understand that 
helping people is your primary professional obligation. The benefits that come with that uh, and the perks are great, but the motivation should be, I want to serve, I want to help people. So there you have it. We appreciate you tuning in to another episode of Law School Crucible. This podcast is a product of FGLPA, an organization here at Elon University School of Law. Your hosts have been James Harris and Dan Wise. Additionally, this podcast was recorded on equipment provided by Elon Law. Our intro music is the song Lounging by the artist Azo, and our outro music is the song Wonder by the artist Tom Mesh. On our next episode, we're going to be joined by Professor Eric Fink, and we're going to hear about how there used to be this thing called labor unions in America. Podcasts thrive on word of mouth and reviews on iTunes specifically. Now, I know you might be listening on some other platform like Stitcher, but for whatever reason, iTunes is where it's at when it comes to reviews. So please tell your friends about this podcast and leave positive reviews for us on iTunes. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.